0: It's Midday Magazine for Tuesday, September 19th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's Public Safety Advisory Board has two open seats in the next month's municipal election. Five people are running. The board is taxed, ta- tasked with advising Borough Assembly, Police Chief, and EMS and Fire Director on matters of public safety. KFSK will be airing conversations with each of the five candidates this week. KFSK sat down with Russell Tenis to talk about why he's running for the position. Tina says he has deep ties to the community.
1: I grew up here, and so I have a long connection with Petersburg. Yeah, I work in electronics, in commercial fishing uh, electronics, and also have a side business uh, doing engineering design. And I'm a member of the Kupernaw City Council, and it's kind of interesting because we, our last council meeting was on Monday and the topic of preparedness came up. and It, it was a lively conversation, very informative. And I, I kind of sat back and listened, but there was a lot of good ideas put on the table. Um, yeah, so live on Kupernoff and, and commute to Petersburg every day by skiff.
0: Okay, and that kind of leads me into the next question I had for you, which is why are you interested in serving on the Public Safety Board?
1: My main interest there is, well, you know, 9-11, you know, just a few days ago, we remembered what occurred in 9-11, and then subsequent to that, the, uh, you know, the cold COVID incident came up, and as a result of those two huge incidences, there's been a lot of power placed into the hands of a few, and I think it's important to have a voice at the local level to do a reality check on some of these things that are coming down the line. And uh, especially with COVID, I think there's been a lot of power put into the hands of a few people to that can, that really have a restriction on our economy and our. Uh, I, th- I think COVID was a very divisive thing in our community, and I want to be a voice for common sense, and I, you know, public safety is very important, but I think there needs to be some checks and balances. Things have been kind of running open loop for for several years. And there needs to be some some corrective feedback
0: are there particular projects or safety concerns that you want to address?
1: You no know, none jump to mind um I think Petersburg is a very you know very safe community. I think we have a you know excellent police department and a good chief um you know i think uh people have a lot of common sense here, and i you know there's there are things that come up you know as as the town grows and things change. But um, I don't see anything, I don't see any serious issues that need correction right now.
0: Um, So the borough code says that the role of the public safety board is to advise the police department, the fire department, and the assembly on matters of public safety. Um, So I'm curious how you would see yourself, if you were on the board, how you'd see yourself working with them going forward.
1: Well, I think it'd be important to work with other members on the board because, um, you know, obviously living on Kupernov, I, I don't, you know, I don't see a lot of. Uh, I'm not interacting constantly with people in the, you know, in, in, in that sphere. But um, I, th- I think it'd be important to work with other members of the board if, if there is a concern, you know, like a, a crosswalk or something like that. And um, it, it sounds simple enough, you know, they, we we could all work together.
0: Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: Well, the, the topic of preparedness came up at our Kupernoff Council meeting the other day, and that was, I think that's, that's something that people have to start thinking about, especially if, um, if we have a round two of COVID. And I, you know, having my own private business, I, I suffered from the supply chain issues that, that were a result of that. Um, and there could be... Some disruptions of you know during our discussion in Kunov, it was a talk about fuel possible fuel shortage um, you know being in in Petersburg, southeast Alaska, we're pretty much on this island, and we have you know just you get here by boat or plane and and we're so dependent on the outside for for everything you know our our food and our fuel and so this is I think that's going to be a growing area that could. eventually involve public safety, and I'd like to be a part of that.
0: That was candidate for public safety advisory board, Russell Tinas. KFSK will be airing conversations with each candidate for public safety advisory board this week. Petersburg's municipal election is Tuesday, October 3rd, and early voting is available weekdays from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. at the municipal building. Bears getting into trash is a problem throughout southeast Alaska. To deal with it locally, the city of Huna started distributing free bear-resistant trash bins to residents at the beginning of the month. But as Coast alaskas Angela Denning reports, most towns in the region can't afford them.
2: In the fall, bears are interested in one main thing, getting fat to survive the winter. They do that by gorging on salmon, grazing on berry bushes, and at times, getting into trash bins.
3: Almost daily from this time on into to late November.
2: Dennis Gray is the city administrator for HUNA, a small community on the northeastern side of Chichikov Island. The island has the world's densest population of brown bears. Gray says in the fall, bears are a daily problem.
3: We have thousands of brown bears and less than a thousand people. Um, so bears have been here for a long time and we have constant conflicts.
2: It's a familiar problem all over Southeast. Haynes killed nearly 30 brown bears in 2020. The following year, Sitka euthanized 14 brown bears. In Ketchikan and Petersburg, black bears are the ones getting into trash, but it's still a problem every year. But so far, Hona is the only community in Southeast that's providing bear-resistant trash cans. Gray thinks they'll be a game-changer for the community.
3: I'm pretty excited about this.
2: The bear bins were too expensive for Hona until a large grant came their way two million dollars from Norwegian Cruise Lines. The company gave Huna the money during COVID. The city used it to purchase 660 bins at $136 a pop. They're smaller sized because they must be lifted and dumped by a person since Huna doesn't have a mechanical collection truck. In Sitka, such bear bins have been cost prohibitive. Sitka created a bear task force which met about 10 times last year. They recommended that the city and borough invest in bear-resistant cans. But Sitka would need to spend around $1.5 million to replace all its residential bins. It boils down to money for other towns in the region, too, who instead rely on laws and citations to encourage residents to keep trash secured. Sitka's wildlife biologist, Stephen Bethune, says brown bears have been getting into local trash bins for many years
3: the bears have keyed in on that and you know roam the neighborhoods at night looking for cans with trash in them.
2: Bethune is one of the people who euthanize Sitka's brown bears. He says it's not pleasant and it's a lot of work.
3: It's often uh, in the middle of the night there's a lot of follow up that happens when you have to kill a bear there's we salvage the hides and skulls for our fur auction in Fairbanks every year so a lot of late nights in the warehouse, skinning bears.
2: The bear bins are kind of like water-resistant clothing. They help for a while.
3: There's no such thing as bear proof. Uh, that's why we call them bear resistant.
2: And they have proof of this. At a local bear shelter in Sitka, Fortress of the Bear, staff tested out many so-called bear-resistant trash bins. The very best one lasted only 12 minutes, but Buffoon says that's enough.
3: I don't foresee realistically a bear spending 10 minutes on one trash can, trying to get into it. They usually just knock over the can and grab a bag that falls out and run off with it into the woods. So even a bear resistant can is going to not provide that immediate food resource. And the bear's eventually gonna learn that coming into town isn't paying off for them. It's too big of a risk.
2: So 10 minutes matters.
3: Absolutely, probably five minutes matters.
2: But bears are more than just a problem. They're important to the region culturally and economically. Huna is a mostly Tlingit community with cultural ties to bears. And city administrator Dennis Gray says the town has grown its tourism industry, receiving nearly 600,000 visitors a year. Many come to see the brown bears in nearby streams.
3: Who should tourism people pay big bucks to go out the road to look at bears? <laughs> and so if you're shooting bears, it's not a, a great thing to be doing.
2: Purchasing bear-resistant trash bins is just one step Huna is taking with the grant money. The city also bear proofed its landfill with concrete blocks. They purchased bear resistant metal dumpsters and kits for hanging deer safely in the fall. And they're bringing in a bear canine team from Fairbanks for two weeks to scare the bears away. Gray says if it works, they'll bring the team back next year. Reporting for Coast Alaska in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: Alaska's congressional delegation has been marked by plane accidents before, and the state lags behind the rest of the country when it comes to aviation safety. Liz Reskin has more on that history and efforts underway to make flying
4: safer in Alaska. For Alaskans, a crash like Buzzy Peltola's triggers grim memories. Former
1: Alaska Senator Ted Stevens was killed in a plane crash in the state he long represented.
4: That was in 2010. Stephen's wife, Anne, died in a 1978 plane crash, and in 1972, a plane carrying Alaska's then-Congressman, Nick Begich, and House Majority Leader Hale Boggs disappeared. It's not just politicians. According to the Air Safety Institute, Alaska's fatality rate per hours flown in small private aircraft used to be twice as high as elsewhere. Despite a dramatic improvement since 2016, it's still higher than the national average. Same for small commercial aircraft. We die a little bit at a time one here, two there, three there. That's Colleen Mondor, a Fairbanks pilot and aviation writer with encyclopedic knowledge of Alaska's plane accidents. She thinks it's too easy for people to dismiss Alaska crashes because each one has only a few fatalities. Every now and again, there's a big one, a midair, that breaks through the national news. But mostly we die like this, one or two or three at a time. It just gets lost. She's sick of seeing the cause shrugged off as Alaska's bad weather. It's not the weather, okay? It's not that, oh my God, that weather was so bad. It's what was the information provided on the weather. The real problem, she and other aviation experts say, is that Alaska hasn't had enough safety infrastructure like paved runways, statewide communication coverage, and one of the most critical weather reporting equipment. In Alaska, the FAA and the National Weather Service manage about 140 automated weather stations that provide crucial information to pilots. Tom George, Alaska manager for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, says that's not nearly enough.
1: We'd have to get about 180 more stations in Alaska to have the same average density that the rest of the country enjoys.
4: In an emailed statement, the FAA said that in recent years, they've added new weather stations and that improving aviation safety in Alaska is one of their top priorities. In July, the U.S. House passed an FAA reform bill that would, among other things, call for more weather equipment to be deployed in Alaska. Representative Peltola voted for it and urged the Senate to do the same. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Liz Ruskin. In
0: March, the Bethel City Council requested a federal service needs assessment for air travel. They wanted to see if the YK Delta has adequate passenger flight service. As the regional hub off the road system, the entire region depends on Bethel's air transit for many healthcare needs and access. Currently, Bethel has 14 nonstop trips weekly to Anchorage. Many of them, many were hoping to get a third daily flight. The Federal Department of Transportation is responsible for deciding the minimum number of flights and type of aircraft carriers sufficient to qualify for the Federal Essential Air Service subsidy. The Transportation Department responded with an assessment. While there won't be more flights, they said Alaska Airlines has understood that the root concern is the inability to make a day trip to Anchorage without having to stay overnight and pay for a hotel. To open up the possibility of day trips, Bethel's morning flight on Tuesdays is earlier on the fall schedule. Flights are now departing from Bethel at 6.45 a.m. In 1980, the DOT determined that Bethel needs 16 weekly round-trip flights during peak season and 14 during off-season. When the city of Bethel submitted its service needs request, it pointed out that the population in the region is more than 50% higher than it was in 1980. DOT responded that during that time planes were smaller and flights weren't always nonstop to a hub, and that since adopting larger aircraft in 2007, there's been many more available seats than there were 20 years ago for KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.